guess, um, may the bread on your tongue leave a trail of crumbs back to where you come from. Pretty decent lyrics in that one. I would go, I would go with that. I would meditate on it a little bit. It would help us. Um, today, we are no longer in the book of Galatians. We are going to move to another part of Scripture. Um, actually, the next three weeks, we're going to do a series on becoming the church on mission. And um, my hope is that we can do that well. And, um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But we're going to be in Matthew 28 today. And um, so you can turn there. Um, Matthew 28, we're going to read um, verses 1 through 10, then we're going to skip down to 16 and read to the end of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. He has said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? God, we ask you today that you would do in us today an Acts 1-8 type of transformation. Would you, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit and make us your witnesses to our friends, to our families, to our classmates, to our community? Would you transform us this day, Lord?
that we would not stand in disobedience to our king's command, but we would consecrate this day as the day that you sent the church at North Wake to the ends of the earth. We pray this, Lord, for your glory and for your namesake. Amen. Today, we start this three-week series, and basically what I'm going to try to do is take our mission statement and bring it down into our lives. Oftentimes, the mission statement gets to a point where it's a good mantra. We kind of say it in life change, and it's written on some things here and there, but it really doesn't define who we are and how we live. And if we are going to be a church on mission for the glory of Christ, then this statement has to be the defining statement of how we live together as a church. Becoming a church on mission means that we will live together and we will believe and we will actually reach the lost and equip them to join with us in the process of becoming mature and ministering worshipers of God. So today, we are going to concentrate on the beginning of that. What does it mean for you and I to reach the lost? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What is that? Well, a few months ago, I was driving in our minivan um, with the kids and my wife, and we were, I don't remember where we were going. But from the little rocket seat behind me, um, my five-year-old Nathan throws this out. Daddy, you know what I want to be when I grow up? Well, that's a loaded question in my family. Because that changes with like, I don't know, moment by moment. Um, it's always fun and intriguing for me because I, I, this is going to be fun. This is, is going to be fun. What, you know, who knows? Could, could be a biologist, could be a soldier, could be a fireman, you know, could be... Who knows? Who knows what's coming? So intrigued, I said, no, Nate, uh, I, I'm not real sure. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a Christianary. <laughs> I said, yeah, try to compose myself and said, really? Well, what does that mean to you, Nate, to be a Christianary? He said, Daddy, I just want to go throughout my life and tell people about Jesus. This, this is what I love. This is what I love about kids. When they grab a hold of something and when they have faith in something, they don't get distracted by doubts or inhibitions or stupid stuff that we do as adults. He believed that Jesus was important enough to spend the rest of his days telling people about him. And so that's just what he wanted to do. Jesus says, go and make disciples. So that's what Nate's going to do. 
I hope that sticks. I'm praying that sticks. But he signed me up that day. I want to be a Christianary too. He, he signed me up in the ranks. I'm ready to go. I believe every Christian is supposed to be a missionary, so let's just slap those two terms together and get after it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And so, as I study this week, I realize once again why every one of us needs to be a Christianary. You know, it doesn't take long to look at some things and really see the lostness around us. Did you know that there's approximately 6.8 billion people on our planet? And 4.5 billion of them are lost. But I don't even know how to make sense of those kind of numbers. Like seriously, you get past a thousand and I'm... I'm I'm pretty much done. 6.5 billion. That's a whole lot of folks. 4.5 billion of them. If Christ returns today or they die, they spend eternity in hell. There are 2 billion people in this world that if they walked for days could not find anyone that knew the good news or could share it with them. There are over 6,800 people groups that are unreached. There are, 12, there are 120 million people in America that have not been discipled. And Nam our North American Mission Board has published that there is approximately 258 million lost people in North America and Canada alone. So today, I have one simple goal. That is to remind us of our mission and to stir us toward taking the next step in really living it out. To becoming a Christianary. But before we get into our text in Matthew 28, I want to back up a little bit and give you the big picture once again and remind you how Matthew 28 and the power of Matthew 28 fits into the big picture. You see, whether you know it or not, and whether the however many number of the 6.8 billion people in the world know it or not, God has said that he loves us and he created us to worship him. His word tells us in Genesis 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in that creative process, he created mankind as the crown of his creation. Chapter 1 verse 26 says, let us create man in our image. God, by his gracious, merciful love created us to commune with him and to worship him perfectly through loving obedience. In verse 28, God clearly expresses 
his will, his purpose, his mission, whatever word you want to slap on there that kind of has that idea, God shows us what he's about, what he's doing, what he wants. And he tells us, he says, I want to fill this earth with sinless, loving, obedient worshipers of God. So you, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Fill the earth with God-honoring, sinless, obedient worshipers. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But in chapter three, everything takes a right turn or a left turn, whichever persuasion you're you're from. Adam and Eve decide to leave God's mission and go their own way, rebel against what God has commanded them to do and the relationship that they uh, have so drunk deeply of and been blessed by, they leave that and the trajectory of all worship goes a different direction. Romans 1, Paul says that man traded the worship of the creator for the created. And then he goes on in that same chapter in verse 28 and he writes a descriptive, he just writes descriptively of what has happened to mankind because they have rebelled It says in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We were created to have fellowship with God. But because our stubborn self-will, each of us has chosen to go our own way, actively rebelling against God, worshiping that which is created rather than the Creator. And that sin is the great tragedy of the human story. Although we were created for fellowship with God and to find our greatest joy in worshiping and obeying Him, we have become so blind and so foolish that we will not only make poor decisions, we will spend all of our time, our energy, our money on worshiping created things and walk away from the one who created us. And that brings us back to our text. You see, in Matthew 28, Matthew aims to help us understand two main points. One is that Christ established, reestablishes a proper worship and that he is the object of that worship. And secondly, that he gives his people a commission to pick up the mantle of God's mission once again, to go to the nations carrying the message of the gospel, 
making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. In other words, he redeems what we have messed up and sets us back on mission and gives us the power and the message and the authority to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with God-honoring worshipers. It's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And Matthew, in his last chapter of his gospel, is tying it all together, the story of Jesus, that he started with this chronological order of where Jesus was in the, in the history of the people of Israel. And he takes that and he places this at the very end. And he wants us to be sure that we understand the only appropriate response to the risen King Christ Jesus is worship. All out, full-hearted, nothing else worship. In both of the appearances in the risen Christ in this passage that we read today, in verse 9, when the women meet Jesus, you know, they're, they're fearful and they're joyful when they get this message from, from an angel and they're running back and Jesus, in his love, meets them halfway. And he says, what? Hi. How you doing? And what do they do? Boom, on their face, at his feet, worshiping. Christ has risen. He has conquered death. He is their king. He's no longer their teacher. And they fall flat on their face and they worship. And you know what Jesus says to them? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just walk in obedience. Go do what I've called you to do. Go Tell the disciples to meet me. My brothers, he calls them then. That's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. And then in verse 17, the brothers get together on the mountain. It's a good place for guys to meet. Okay, and when the disciples see him, what do they do? Those who see him for who he is, they worship. And then there were some that didn't. They doubted. Jesus does not rebuke at this point the ladies and the disciples worshiping him. Why not? Because Christ Jesus, the one who came to reconcile man to God, who bore our sin on the cross, has overcome guilt and condemnation, He has been raised from the dead, conquering suffering, certifying that not only he has purchased us for a living hope, which Peter would say in 1 Peter 1, and made us alive, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2, but the resurrection testifies to the fact that Jesus is God. Without the resurrection, there would be no good news. When was the last time not only did the cross get lost in the distance, but the empty tomb, the risen king, get lost in the distance in your life? 
And Matthew is calling us in this chapter to glory in the risen king that as we see him clearly, that our doubts would turn to worship. Why? Because it is the risen Christ who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, we are to worship. We are to bow down because Christ is our king. Christ has all authority over heaven and earth. I was, I've been racking my brain all week to find an illustration that would help us really grab a hold. I don't have one. I, it's too big. The risen Christ has authority, all authority, in heaven and on earth. Nothing escapes the power of King Jesus. No angel, no spirit, no demon, not even Satan himself. Jesus has the right and the power to do as he pleases. His authority covers heaven and earth. It covers everything. And it led Paul to write this in Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in, every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that, all, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christ reigns over all, over all creation, the wind and the waves, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, over the laws of physics, over your molecular structure. He is king. Over the diseases that you have, the germs that you come into contact with, it all bows a knee to Jesus. Even your beating heart, even the air that's in your lungs right this minute, He is the ruler over every area of your life. Over your home, over your business, over your checkbook, over, the, over everything. He rules over your marriage. He rules over your flesh. He rules over everything. And that's why when we choose to go a different direction and rebel against the king, it is high treason. And punishable by death. He is the king. Why? Because he is God. The risen Christ. The authority. The power. He, he has it all. He can tell you what you should think. What you should do. And how you should feel. He has the right to do that to everybody in this city, everybody in this country, everybody in this world. Our self-will, our active rebellion has no power against Jesus. No authority. He does with us as he pleases. He is God the God who created the heavens and the earth, the one who came, the one who died, the one who rose again from the grave. He is the authority over all things. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
This is the beautiful thing of it. This is the joy. What does he choose to do with that authority? He chooses to come in human form and humble himself and redeem what is unredeemable. He comes to us with loving arms to, to take our punishment and reconcile the world to himself. And he has only one plan to further this radical redemption and restoration of this world. And you know what it is? A ragtag bunch of 11 guys sitting on a mountainside full of sinners, tax collectors. That, that's his plan? About you, but man, that doesn't sound like a really good plan to me. I think I could sketch out a better one. You know what's even more miraculous? That it's gone from those 11 guys to you and me. Sinners. Broken people, people with a past. God continually works in us, redeeming us, informing us as the church so that we will carry out his mission. We are to go and make disciples. King Jesus, the sovereign over all of heaven and earth, has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. What about you, but it sounds crazy. How impossible. I mean, it sounds impossible, right? 4.5 billion people, go make disciples of all the nations. It sounds impossible. How impossible do you think it sounded to the 11 guys on the side of a mountain when Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations? I'm not even sure they knew all the nations. Like, how we, at least we have enough resources where we, we're cocky enough to think we can do that. You know, if we, get, if we get enough people coming to our website and we get enough things going on, we could probably reach, you know, at least half. It sounds crazy, impossible, but it's not. You see, some did doubt, but the rest worshipped. And why? Because they saw Jesus had conquered death. And at this point, nothing was impossible. Nothing was impossible. Pastor David Platt in his book, Radical, and I would encourage you to pick up a copy of it and read it right away. Um, if you can't afford one, send me an email, I'll buy you one. But in this book, Radical, he tells the story of a guy named Bulan, who is a Sudanese Christian man. And he was in the Sudan, and he was ministering there, and they were in a little hut, sitting on the floor, sipping tea, having a conversation about what God wanted to do with them in the future. And as they talked, Platt recalls Bulan lowering his cup and saying, David, I'm going to impact the world. Interesting 
statement, says Platt, coming from a guy who lived in an African bush with little to no resources and had never seen much of the world beyond the villages that surrounded him. And Platt responded, Bullen, how are you going to impact the world? Bullen said, I'm going to make disciples of all the nations. Then Platt questioned, so you're going to impact the world by making disciples of all the nations. And he said, Bullen got a big grin on his face and pulled his teacup down and said, why not? Bowen sounds like my little Nate. With childlike faith, he really believed that by obeying Jesus, the King, the risen Savior's command to make disciples, he was going to impact the world. My question is, do you, do we really believe that if we take this crazy commission that God has given his church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded, that we can impact the world. I think it, I think it hinders, I think it is hitched to, or I, how we see the resurrection. What is clear in these last words of Jesus is that he's trying to move the church to action. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. He has set us free for freedom's sake, we've, we've learned in Galatians. And he is inviting us to be part of his redemptive mission. He wants us to be his heralds. He wants us to be his ambassadors and to spread the gospel to the nations. He wants us to fill the earth with God-honoring worshipers. 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to ask you to commit with me today. I want you to join me in drawing a line in the sand. And saying today, I will intentionally embrace this mission. This day will mark the end of excuses and delays and training to be a missionary. God forgive us. This week I've been crushed. Absolutely crushed as I have ask God to open my eyes to the lostness of this world and I have not even left Wake Forest this week and I have seen it with new eyes and I'm ashamed 
absolutely ashamed. Let's stop studying and talking about doing evangelism and having big things about boldly sharing Christ and just do it. Do it. What if you and I today sign on the dotted line to say, you know what, Christianary. Today, I became a Christianary. I should have brought Jake Sword in and dubbed you guys Christianaries. What if, what if with reckless abandon and faith, what if with just childlike, idealistic passion and blind optimism, we just walked out of this door today and went and shared Jesus with somebody today? Because if you let it fester, if you don't do it today, you won't do it tomorrow. Today. What if we did that? What kind of impact, if we really took to heart about making disciples, could we make in 4.5 billion people in this world who are lost, separated from God, still under a curse, and if they die tonight or Christ returns, they are going to go to hell? What about those people? Why not today? Why not? Is it impossible for Jesus to use us? Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has conquered death. He's given all authority in heaven and earth. And he tells us not only to go, but he lovingly tags this on the end in verse 20. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. You're not going out by yourself. You have the king of heaven and earth with you. You're not alone. Christ would never leave you alone. So today, I want to challenge you to do four things. Four steps that I I actually want us to put into place as a congregation. The first is to pray. Let's quit talking about it. Let's quit having classes. Let's just pray. Let's just start praying today that God, God would open our eyes to the lostness of Wake Forest, to the lostness of our nation, and to the lostness of the world. Because guess what? If 250 plus million lost people live in America and Canada, where do the rest of the 4.5 billion people live? Somewhere other than here. What if we prayed daily for our neighbors and actually prayed the gospel for them? How would we treat them? What would we do? What if we actually took the six steps or however many steps it takes to go from your front door to theirs? What if we did that? What if we prayed for boldness? If you, if you read Paul's prayers through the New Testament, most of, a lot of them are around, please pray for me, that the gospel will have an opening and I will be bold. Amazing. Yet we don't pray that. 
please, please pray that God would open our eyes, make us bold, that we would have opportunities to deliver the gospel. The second is plan. I don't know about you, nothing much is happening around my, in my life without a plan. Most of the wasted time in your life and mine happens because we don't have a plan. So we just spin around waiting for God to kind of show up and write on the wall and give us a plan. What I have found is God works in my life when I walk in obedience. So if I walk that out four or five steps and have a plan for that, God tends to bless that and change my direction or do whatever. Proverbs tells man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. Make a plan. Come up with a strategy. How are you going to win the people you're around? Not by not making a plan. Make a plan. And if God chooses to do something different, great. At least you were doing something. Do you have a trip coming up business-wise or something like that? How are you going to use your vacation or the, your business trip for the kingdom? When you sit on an airplane next to somebody, what do you... Do you have anything in your briefcase you could whip out and hand somebody? Some kind of Christian literature, something you could hand, ask them to read? Start, start a conversation. Conversations are short with me on the airplane because as soon as they ask me what I do and I say I'm a pastor, it's done. You, however, don't have that. So I'm coming up with some kind of other title. I'm not sure what it is yet, but something. But here, Christianary, yeah, that's it right there. That ought to shut it down pretty quick. But those are the kind of things that we have to plan for. You don't get on a plane ready to witness to somebody without a plan and prayed up. When you go on vacation, don't just disengage from the mission. Use it. You're standing in line at Disney World for this endless line of people. Have a conversation. Ask good questions. You see, here's what God has shown me. I haven't had a good plan, and I haven't been seeing the people around me really well. I've been so busy that my schedule from the time I get up to the time I go to bed is so full that I'm like a horse with blinders on. I don't see anybody unless you're the next appointment. That is very unhealthy and not a good way to do ministry and is not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus had a great, man, he had a lot to do. But he seems to have all the time in the world for the people that he encounters. And I was very convicted about that today and things are going to change this week. That we don't see people anymore. We don't know if they're hurting. We don't know if they're struggling. We don't know if their life has been released from the curse or if they're still living under the curse because we take no time to get to know them. What about your neighbors? What if you just made a plan to be the hospitable one and just kind of circled everybody up at your house? That would be a good plan. Hang out with some lost people. It's a whole lot of fun. I don't know what it is about when we become Christians that we just kind of forget about having fun and talking to people. I don't know what it is. It's like we've got to be serious all the time. Just go have fun. Meet people where they're at. 
Third, give. And yes, I'm talking about your money. Because I believe your money, that your heart will follow your money. I believe that with all of my, my, my being. I believe that. And I believe if I give out of sacrifice, that that is pleasing to God. But if I give out of an abundance, then that is not pleasing to God. But I'm also talking about more than money. I'm talking about your stuff. Give away your stuff. Give it to somebody who needs it more than you. Grab all of those clothes that are in your closet that you haven't worn in the last year, box them up, and send them to an orphanage somewhere. That 25 pairs of shoes you got in your closet, you don't wear half of them, get rid of them. That, those tools, those blessed, and I'm, I'm speaking straight from my heart right now. Blessed tools in your garage, loan them to your neighbor without worrying about whether you get them back or not or if they come back in the same shape you gave them. I promise you they won't. I got a skill saw that testifies to it. I can't, it will not cut a straight line anymore. So what? Get into people's lives. Give stuff away. Give stuff that means something, not just your junk. Give to people who are going on short-term mission trips. Give to the feed ministry. Lastly, go. Just go. Just do it. Forget all the excuses and the reasons why you can't go but somebody else. No, no, just go. Just absolutely take a step. When you leave here, go out to eat, share Jesus with somebody. Do something. Just go. Move out of your comfort zone and go across the street, across the nation, around the world. A few things I want to make you aware of as you prepare a plan. These are things that are coming that can enable you to go, maybe if you don't really, haven't ever done anything like that before. Can Hunger Food Drive this year, Thanksgiving, we want to feed, five, I would like to see us feed four times more people than we did last year. That's me and just me. You know, I'll feed, I'm in, I'm in. Let's just do this thing. But let's not just hand food to people. Let's invite them to our small group. Let's invite them into our lives to have dinner with us. See, now we're getting messy. Now we've just gone from have a great Thanksgiving to I love you and how can I serve you? Now, how can I bring the gospel to bear upon your life? See, that's totally different. It's totally different. Heritage High School. Acclaimed principal Mark Savage. We have tried to come and begin some ministry there and, and we'd like to minister to the teachers and to, the, to, to others there. 
um, in the next month, we're going to be hosting a breakfast. Come. It's going to be early. You can get there, maybe go to work just a little bit later. Come, serve. Build some relationships. World relief. Refugees from other countries are moving to the Triangle area. The nations are coming to us. Get involved. Do something. You don't even have to leave your hometown. And you can make disciples of all the nations. All of this stuff is just to encourage you to become a missionary to this community. To think about, you don't have to use these. These aren't just the only ways to do it. These are just ways to help you get involved. I would love it if your small group or your family would just come up with ways to get involved in your community. I'm coaching soccer. You seven. Suffering for the Lord Jesus. Because it gets me out of my bubble and connects me to other families. Get involved in the community. This year we'll be sending teams to our church plants in Tampa and D.C. And um, I'm, I'm ashamed. Other churches have already sent mission teams up there and we haven't. And that, that's just, I don't know, that gets me. And, and we're going to be sending runners camp teams to West Virginia, D.C., Boston this summer. And then, listen to this. This year, we're going to send two teams to India, hopefully two teams to Turkey, one to Thailand, one to Tajikistan, and through the Joyner Brothers Ministry, hopefully five groups to Haiti. Get on board. I want to get, listen, I, w- I would sign up for every one of these Haiti trips with the Joiner. That's just fun. You just want to go have fun. Just travel with them anywhere. I mean, it could be down the street, but but Haiti, Haiti's just just fun. I mean, that's and and you get to go and serve and spread the gospel. You get to. Do you understand the privilege? It's a joy, not a weight. It's a privilege to be a herald of the king. Those are things that we're doing. And I just want to encourage you to make sure that when you read the Great Commission, it isn't just la, 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 la. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now these are some of the last words that were spoken from the risen Savior's mouth. These are the commission. This is the commission of the church. This is why the first part of our mission statement is to reach the lost. You see, because Jesus came to die our death. take on our sin our guilt and he gave us an example something to hold on to 
to remind ourselves of that until his return. And when the night before he was betrayed, Jesus met with his disciples. And after the dinner, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he prayed and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is a cup of my blood, the new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Every time you do this, remember. You see, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son for us when we were part of the lost, the 4.5 billion. again victorious for us so as we approach the table today I would ask that if you don't believe that if you're not fully trusting in that if you're still doubting then to wait pray ask someone here to clearly help you understand the gospel better But if you believe and you've put your trust in him, I ask you to quietly examine your heart, repent of your sin, turn from it, and embrace the risen king again at his table. That we might all be sent as ambassadors and heralds with crumbs on our mouth leading back to where we come from it's an amazing line let's pray and prepare our hearts Lord Jesus thank you so much for this table thank you for the sacredness of it and I pray Lord you would protect that by your spirit and you would protect it by moving in the hearts of your people that they would repent of their sin and turn Lord thank you this day for the conviction that you have brought upon me. And I pray, God, that with my brothers and sisters, we would repent well, embrace the gospel, and take it to the world. And pray this in Jesus' name.